Uh, we will read verses 11 through 13. While you turn there, I give honor to your great pastor, his wife, family. Um, I believe it is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this evening, Brother Thomas and Sister Bethany Hill will go into the doctor. And Lord willing, shortly, they'll have a new baby coming. And so we're praying Lord's hand would be upon them. Matter of fact, why don't you just lift up your hands and let's pray for a smooth and a safe delivery. God, we know, Lord, that you do all things well. God, you are the mighty physician. Lord, I pray, God, that the delivery would go as planned. Have your way. Praise God. And uh, what an honor, what an honor it is to be a saint of God to have the privilege of prayer to call on him and trust and know and believe that when we call he will answer and we can pray over things like this so I want to uh, obey the Lord this morning preach what God has given to me I confess to you uh, I, I feel this very strongly strong burden what I will be preaching about today is very important and uh, it, is, it is something that must be held on to passed down to the next generation you know the church is only one generation from going extinct I, I've, I've, I've heard men of God matter of fact Holmes, he makes a statement rather often and says, if you don't think there could be chains on these doors, you better wake up and shake yourself. Hey, this, this is not just something we can coast by and we just haphazardly do, but the truth of God, we have to have it firmly rooted and planted and grounded in our hearts. And so I want to preach today what the Lord has given me. I give honor to my lovely wife and son and daughter. So thankful they're here. All of the saints of God always say it's hard to have church without y'all. So I'm, I'm honored and humbled to be in your presence. No greater, no higher calling that of a saint. To all of our guests, we're glad you're here. And most of all, we're glad Jesus is in the house. I want to know if anybody's going to help me preach on this cold, snowy Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Psalm 48 and 11, say amen if you're there. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. And say it with me. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark you well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God forever and ever. And He will be our guide even unto death. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach for just a little while. If the Lord will help me from this subject. Walk about Zion. Walk about Zion. Would you, before we move further, the order of this service, would you put your Bibles down? And would you lift up your hands? Close your eyes and let's pray that God would
would speak to us. Come on, lift up your voices. Let's pray all over this house. Lord, I thank you today for the wonderful opportunity to be in your house. God, I'm, I'm praying today, Lord, that you would give me a special anointing this morning. God, do something in the hearts of men and women today. Lord, I pray that as truth is pre preached across this pulpit, that God, the anointing of the Holy Ghost, would settle down in this place. Come on, would you lift up your voice and help me pray? Come on, there's a sweet touch of the Holy Ghost right now. God, I thank you for the power that comes from preaching. I thank you for the power that comes from the preaching of your word. Oh, and Lord, we know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by that word. And so, God, I pray today that faith would be in this house. Deliverance, healing, salvation, the miraculous, the supernatural. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And one more time before you're seated, would you just put your hands together? Come on, would you just put your hands together? Clap them like thunder. Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. Come on, would you lift up your voice while you're clapping your hands? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And somebody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the rich, wonderful presence of our God. Walk about Zion. It is a glorious city. It is a city of beauty, a city of strength, a city that has been set upon a hill. Her foundation is like no other, for it is not laid with ordinary stone, but scripture would say it is laid with a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. It is a city of justice and a city of refuge. Within her walls, righteousness reigns, and on her streets, truth stands tall. Within this wonderful city, I'm glad to tell you today that there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. For salvation has been placed in her. She is a city of deliverance. She is a city of holiness. She is a city that is blessed of God. Out of this city, David said, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. It is a city chosen by God as his habitation. And today her towers yet stand. Her fortresses remain strong. And it is not because this city is without adversary. It's not because this city is immune to attack by a foreign enemy, but rather because her enemies are no match for the king seated within her walls. 
In her palaces, God is known as her refuge. It is the city of the living God. One poet said it on this wise, the church has all her foes defied and laughed to scorn their rage. Even thus she shall abide secure from age to age. Mount Zion was a name that referred to the city of Jerusalem in general and the mountain that the temple was built upon. In scripture, Zion refers to the church or the dwelling place of the people of God. And today, I love this city of Zion, for it is the church of the living God. The context is uh, a psalm. There's a triumphant song of thanksgiving after a great deliverance at Jerusalem. Some apply it uh, to the times of Asa when Zerah and the Ethiopians came with an army of a million men and 300 chariots to stand against Jerusalem. Others would apply it to the times of Jehoshaphat when the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites gathered together to come against the people of Judah. Uh, there are scholars that believe that it uh, was to be around the time written where Sennacherib and his army came against Jerusalem based off of that when God destroyed the people of God's foes. Psalm 48 and 4 says, Lo, the kings were assembled. Talking about the adversary. And they passed by together and saw it. And so they marveled and were troubled and hasted away. And so this verse depicts the dismay that came upon the enemies of God when they drew near to the city of Zion. And as they looked upon her, fear struck their hearts. And they could only look and pass by, paralyzed by dread. And so David encourages the people to step outside and walk about Zion or circumspectly walk around it and inspect it after that she had been attacked. It was if he said, walk about this city, blessing and praising God with thankful hearts who protected you from your enemy. He said, count the towers, tell the towers as you go along and see if there be so much as one even wanting or the least hurt done to any of them. Mark well her bulwarks and take note of her fortified defenses. He said to consider her palaces and the strength of this beautiful city. Uh, to put this in Oklahoma vernacular, David encourages the people to observe the beauty and the strength and the safety of Zion. And so today we, we must walk about Zion and I pray that God will be glorified and I pray that our faith would be strengthened and something would be put deep inside our hearts uh, that we would know well of her strength and power uh, and her ordinances so that, me, that we may tell it to the next generation. Let me tell you what David understood. He understood that in this life, discouragement and attacks and trouble will come. But in the midst of it all, we can never forget what the writer in Hebrews said. He said that we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're a part of a kingdom that cannot be moved. And I feel like preaching today and reminding those of you that are a part of the church that we as the people of God are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men 
made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. I am so glad to be a part of the church today. I'm so glad to be numbered within the walls of this great city. And David said, walk about Zion and go round about her. He said, tell the towers thereof, mark you other bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. So this morning, we're going to take a walk about Zion. And we're going we're gonna to see what the Lord would have for us today. We're going to walk about Zion and we're going to take note of some important things that we must pass down to the generation following us. The first thing the writer instructs us to do is to tell the towers thereof. Somebody say, tell the towers. In the ancient world, walls and defensive measures and structures, they were critical to survival. And it determined whether or not the city would survive the onslaught of being attacked. But note that before the enemy would begin the besiegement, they would have what they called a counter of towers come. And he would help plan the attack. And the counter of towers, he would walk around the city. And he would estimate the strengths and look for points of weakness. And he would study and think how that the city could be overtaken. He was, if you will, an old-fashioned engineer of sorts that would study the vulnerability of a city so that it could be exploited and conquered. And also, in a way, he would assess the strengths of that city. And it was like he was, he was seeing how it could benefit them after they besieged it and conquered it. Just picture in your mind a wolf looking at a little lamb licking his chops. And you think about how unsettling it must have been for, for to be on that wall and see the counter of towers walking around with his little scribe writing things down and thinking and pondering how he's going to take the city and how he's going to overcome the wall. But David said that the counter of towers has come And the soldiers and the chariots and the horsemen behind him And he told the people of God to look around and count the towers Because despite what the enemy has conspired to do against Jerusalem All the towers yet remain standing and I'm reminded about the time when the Assyrians were going to besiege Jerusalem, Sennacherib, the king of the army, come against this holy city. And he, he, was, he was counting it already done. He sent Rabshakeh to stand on the wall and, and curse the people of God and intimidate them in their own Hebrew language. But let me tell you what the counter of towers did not account for. Amen. That, that within that wall, within that city, there was a king that has never lost a battle there was a king that cannot be defeated that cannot be destroyed can I just tell you this morning that you can't stop the church I said you can't stop the church you can't destroy it there are many that have tried and they all have failed kings, dictators, kingdoms wicked men but we stand today and declare that no weapon formed against us shall prosper it doesn't matter the attack it doesn't matter the weapon it doesn't matter the method the towers in Zion they continue to stand Say praise the Lord. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13 and 8, he said, For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. There's nothing you can do against the truth. 
There's nothing you can do against the church. There's nothing you can do against the city of Zion. As a matter of fact, if you try to do something against the church, you'll end up doing something for the church. You try to do something against truth, you'll end up doing something for truth. Come on, that's what they thought when they put the apostle Paul in jail, but he was writing those epistles and letters, and God was still moving. God was still working. Hey, Pharaoh tried it, but the Bible says that the more the children of Israel were afflicted, the more they grew and the more they multiplied. Let me tell you about Zion today. The church of the living God is the only fortress that the more her towers are attacked, the stronger they become. Get a little help in these monitors if you would. I thought about it last night when I was putting this together. I remember an old song we used to sing, Tis the Old Ship of Zion. It's the hope for the lost and the dying. It's a soul-saving station. It's the tower of salvation. It's the church triumphant, oh Lord, and it's built by the hand of the Lord. I'm talking about the church in the book of Revelation. It's built on the rock. It's got a firm foundation. The writer said it's been through the flood and it's been through the fire. But one of these days, the church is going to move up a little higher. He said it's been through the storm, but the wind couldn't turn it. It's been through the fire, but the fire couldn't burn it. It's been fed to the lions, but the lions couldn't eat it. It's fought a lot of wars, but it's never been defeated. I come to tell somebody on this Sunday morning, you need to walk about Zion, and you need to count her towers. Every one of them are still standing. There's no impairment. There's no harm. There's no damage. Let me tell you about the towers in Zion. It represents the, the preachers that are immovable and set for the defense of the truth within her walls. What are you talking about? God told Jeremiah, he said, I have set thee for a tower and a fortress among my people. Let me tell you, church, you need to be thankful for a tower in the city of Zion that stands tall with boldness and declares that God is within these walls. Amen. The preacher, he's part of that tower in Zion. Let me tell you about the towers in Zion. The Lord himself is the tower of his people. He's a high tower. He's a strong tower. He secures and defends us against all our adversaries. Hallelujah. David said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom will I trust my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Let me tell you, with strength and confidence and faith, we can walk about Zion today, and we can count her towers, and we can rest assured that God's never failed that city. God's never going to fail his church. Amen. We are on the winning side of 
I've read the back of the book. We win. Somebody said, I feel like I'm on the way down. If you feel like you're on the way down, take hold of the church because the church is going up. Is there anybody thankful today for those towers in Zion for a testimony? Amen. We serve a king whose train, it fills the temple. He's never lost a battle. He's never lost a war. The towers in Zion, they yet stand today. Come on, I'm wondering if we could lift up our hands and pray all over this house. Come on, I'm asking somebody right now to get connected and plugged in. Come on, somebody needs to plug in to what God wants to do today. Come on, I know it's snowing outside. Come on, we got a lot of things we're thinking about and worrying about. But somebody get your mind on Jesus. Come on, we got to have a little bit of church today. Oh, yeah, those towers in Zion, the adversary tried, the adversary failed. The towers in Zion, the adversary sees. He wants them. That counter of towers, he's looking upon them, studying how can I defeat Zion this time? How can I break through walls? I come to ask you the question that the prophet Isaiah asked the children of Israel. He said, where is the counter of towers now? He's gone. He's defeated. He's under the ground. Zion will be victorious. Oh, yeah. Y'all going to make me work for it today. That's all right. That's all right. I feel like preaching a little bit this morning. Let me tell you what the counter of towers was doing. A few years ago when your pastor was on his back in a hospital bed fighting for his life, he was sitting there with his little scribe writing some things down, thinking how he was going to take this church out, thinking how he was going to break through the walls. Oh, but I come to tell you that God is on Zion's side. He's a king within her walls and there's nothing the devil can do. There's nothing that counter of towers can do. I look around here today and the towers are standing strong. I look around today, the wall has not been breached. Somebody ought to lift up your voice and you ought to thank God that the towers in Zion, they're still standing tall. But David didn't stop there. He said, don't just tell her the towers. He said, mark you well her bulwarks. Let me tell you what a bulwark is. It's a, it's a defensive structure. Understand that a bulwark was a wall, lower kind of a foundational thing, and it was meant to provide security and structure from the onslaught of the enemy. It was not meant for aesthetical beauty or just a decorative thing, but it was a place that was to be defended in a place that you could fight for. And I come to tell you that Zion has some things that we will stand and declare and fight over. We will stand and defend the oneness of God. This is a one God church. We believe that hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We believe that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God 
hallelujah, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We believe Colossians 2 and 9, that for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We're going to stand at the bulwark of the name of Jesus and declare that He is the only name. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is a Jesus name, church. Everything we do in word or deed, we're going to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. We baptize in Jesus' name. We preach in Jesus' name. We pray over our food in Jesus' name. Everything we do, we do it in the name of Jesus. The bulwark of the new birth plan of salvation is a place we'll stand and fight. That it takes repentance. Water baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Amen. You must be born again. Born again of the water. Born again of the Spirit. If you ain't born again of the water and the Spirit, you cannot see and you sure can't enter into the kingdom of God. We will never surrender our position on holiness and separation from the world. He said, come out. Out, uh, from among them and be ye separate uh, saith the Lord uh, touch not the unclean thing uh, he said follow peace uh, with all men and holiness uh, for without which no man will see the Lord this is a church that believes in separation from the world holiness on the inside reflected by holiness on the outside and we will not move we will not stand we will not change we will not be shaken uh, hallelujah in 2023 our position on the distinction of gender genders uh, makes more sense uh, than it ever has before uh, and we're going to stand right here uh, there's only two genders uh, male and female uh, we still believe homosexuality uh, is an abomination under the Lord uh, amen this is a holiness church uh, amen uh, I said this is a holiness church. This is a Bible believing, Bible living, Bible practicing, Bible preaching church. Our biblical position on our ladies having uncut hair as taught in 1 Corinthians 11 is another place we'll stand. For the word of the Lord says it's a shame for a woman to cut her hair. Because her hair is given to her as a covering. It's her glory. In a world where people hang all kind of gold and all kinds of jewelry and things on their faces and fingers and body. We're going to stand on the biblical teaching of modesty and the scriptural prohibition of the wearing of gold in 1 Peter 3 and 3. Amen. We don't believe you need the bling bling on the outside. But it's on the inside. When, when God's people delivered them out of Egypt, they received jewelry and silver and gold. They spoiled their neighbors on the way out of town. But what was meant to be a blessing become a stumbling block. And it wasn't very long into their journey. They took all that gold and all that jewelry and they formed.
grabbed a golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain talking to God. And they were worshiping at Exodus 32 and 20. Moses, Moses says, he said he took the calf which they had made and he burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and he made the children of Israel to drink it. The jewelry that they had, it quickly turned into idolatry. You want to know why God directed Moses to do that? God was trying to reveal to them the gold does not belong on the outside, but the gold belongs on the inside. God wanted his glory to be reflected on the inside not on the outside how many knows that we are a reflection of the glory of God can I preach to somebody we don't need to adorn our flesh we were created in the image of God let me tell you what our job is it's to have an ornamentation of the Holy Ghost not on the outside but on the inside Corinthians 6 and 19, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God and ye are not your own. He said for ye are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body, in your spirit which are God's. got the Holy Ghost on the inside. That's all you need. We've got a treasure in earth and vessel. Hey, it's interesting how the world wants to adorn something that's dying, the flesh. But the true church, the people of God, they want to adorn something that will live forever. The soul and the spirit. We're not interested in the temporal. But we're interested in the eternal. And because we deny our flesh, and glorify God with what's on the inside. On that other side of Jordan, we'll have a glorified body. Is there anybody thankful that in Zion, we've got some bulwarks, we've got some stances, amen, we've got some lines, we've got some positions, amen, and the orders have not changed. Is there anybody in this house that would lift up your hands right now, lift up your voice, and purpose within your heart, God, help me to Remember again the positions of our bulwarks and defenses. We got to stand. The, the world may not like it, but we don't care what the world likes. The devil certainly don't like it, and we certainly don't care what the devil likes because we're Zion. David also admonishes us to consider her palaces. Notice today that we're not instructed to consider her shacks, but her palaces. And today we need to remember the blessings of God. Our lifestyle is not one of impoverished misery. But I'm looking at people today that are living in the favor and the goodness of God. And is there anybody that just waved your hand and testified there's no greater life? There's no greater fulfillment. There's no greater joy. Saints of God, any way you look at it, this apostolic palace life, amen, it's a palace. Hallelujah. It's a life of blessing and favor and peace. And when I consider her palaces and I think about the goodness of God, let me tell you something, there's nothing that could cause me to leave the safety of Zion. I'm not leaving its provision and its security. What a blessing and honor it is to live within the walls of this wonderful city. And finally, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to my runway here, folks. David, he, he gives us a final purpose for walking about Zion. He said, so that we might tell it 
to the following generation. We have a great debt that we owe to past generations before us. And, and we who have been given, we have a responsibility to teach and transmit it to the next generation. The prophet Isaiah said, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall make haste. And so today the strength of Zion lies in the fact that its foundation is Jesus Christ. He is that tried and precious cornerstone. And we who know him, we, we who know the power and the majesty of his church and the truth, we have to pass it down to the next generation. I want you to lean in and listen close. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness. People of God have at long last entered into that promised land. And just like God parted the Red Sea for Moses, he parts the Jordan River for Joshua. Hear me today, both of them took a miracle. The River Jordan was at a flood stage. The water was too swift for them to cross. And so Joshua tells the priest to lift the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. And he tells them to step out in the water. And the moment their feet touched that swirling muddy water, the river stopped flowing. And the ground dried up beneath their feet. And the whole nation passed in front of the priest and the ark, crossing on dry ground into the promised land. What a mighty miracle of God. But let me tell you what Joshua had a revelation of. He knew that even mighty miracles and truth could be forgotten if somebody don't remember them. And so he instructed 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel, to take a large stone from the middle of that riverbed where the priest stood firm, where the preacher took a stand. Each man was to take that large stone, carry it on their shoulders to the place where the people of God would camp that night. It ended up being in Gilgal. And it was at Gilgal where Joshua had them to build a monument or a memorial from those 12 stones that would be a reminder for future generations. Joshua knew that there would be children one day that would look upon on those stones, children that had not been there when God parted the Red Sea for Moses. Children that had not been there where God parted the Jordan River for Joshua and his people. And they would ask, what is this all about, Daddy? What is this all about, Mama? He said, what meaneth these stones? Joshua recognized his generation had seen the mighty works of God. But this was a man looking into the future, thinking about the legacy of faith that he would pass down to the next generation. Help us today God. What a wait. I want to preach. We've got a sacred responsibility to take the truth of God and pass it down to the next generation. One's translation in Psalms 102 and 18 says let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. We're only one generation away from closing. Pass down this truth and this doctrine and this faith to the next generation. If we do that, we have failed our most important task. I want to tell you today, elders, don't ever stop telling the stories of what you've seen God do. Tell them over and over and over again. And when you've told them, just tell them over and over and over again. David had a revelation. Come on, I want you to catch this today. The same man that wrote our text, Walk About Zion, he penned these words words. He said, now also when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation. 
and thy power to everyone that has come. I come to tell you, I thank God for my apostolic heritage. Brother Dykes, I was praying yesterday, and my mind was racing with stories of miracles that I've heard. My mom and daddy and my grandma tell. It's been passed down to me. The healings, the blessings, the prayers that God's answered, the ways that God has made, the promises that God's fulfilled. I want to preach to this church. We need to hear, Sister Dykes, about how God made a highway through that Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh and his horsemen. We need to hear about when the Jordan River, it was too much to cross and the, and the, and the children couldn't get through and the animals couldn't get through. How those men of God, they stooped down and they got a hold of the Ark of the Covenant and they hoisted it upon their shoulders. And when they stepped when they stepped in the water it dried up and God's people marched through on dry ground we, we need to hear about it I said we need to hear about it musicians come I remember my, my great grandmother my granny she was the matriarch of our family responsible for four or five, gener five generations now being in truth. And uh, she lived in Rocky Ford, Oklahoma. Y'all couldn't find it. You was off of a gravel road, no, no paved roads. You'd get lost if you tried to get there. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. But Brother Harold Ridenauer went there to this city, and he started a church. They started knocking on doors, and they invited my great-grandmother, Ruby Horton's, uh, children to church, which would be my grandma and my aunt and my uncle Truman, and she allowed her two daughters to go, and uh, she 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 would not come herself. But during the course of this time coming, my aunt and my grandmother got the Holy Ghost still in church today. Praise God! Thank the Lord for somebody with a burden to go knock on a door. We need people that'll do that. But long story short, it wasn't very long until. Uh, my granny decided to come to church and she got the Holy Ghost and uh, got baptized in Jesus' name. God delivered her of a cigarette addiction for over 40 years. She'd been smoking since she was a little girl. Her, her, her mom and daddy, they thought it was funny to give this little girl cigarettes. And she had a cigarette addiction that, that she could not break. But she, she broke it when she got in church. Somebody asked her, you know, how do you quit smoking cigarettes cold turkey after 40 years? She said, well, it's simple. You just got to want to quit more. You want to keep doing it. <laughs> hey, God will deliver you, but deliverance has to be maintained. So she was a new convert. And during this time, she was learning about uh, truth and faith. And her, she heard her pastor preach about how that if we lay hands on the sick, they would recover and pray the prayer of faith just so happened she went to the doctor and they were checking her out and there was discomfort and they found a tumor in her uterus the size of a grapefruit this was 60 years ago uh, medicine was not the way it is today and to her it was a death sentence Dr. Madeira told her he said Ruby, Mrs. Horton go home, set your house in order you're going to die tumor's inoperable well she went home and she started going church in every service Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night when the pastor would call for the sick to come 
if she would come and she would have her preacher lay hands on her and want her to go off and pray. This went on for several months. I can hear her telling me today. She told it to me many times. She's since been on, gone on to be with the Lord. And she said it got to where people kind of knew what was going on. And she said, I knew people were looking at me. And she said, but I had to have a mirror. It was one Sunday morning she come and she said it wasn't a breakthrough service what one of them blowouts or anything like that but she said it was just a normal Sunday morning service and once again the pastor called if there was any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church to lay hands on and pray the prayer of faith God can send the sick and she said this Sunday morning I went down to the front and I closed my hand and I lifted up my eyes start at the top of my head go to the sole of my feet she said in that moment I knew that God had healed me and she went home and she told my great grandfather he wasn't a church he wasn't a church man he wasn't somebody that believed in any of this she said honey you got to take me to Tahlequah you got to take me to the doctor God's done a miracle for me <laughs> this, this is where I come from they didn't even have a vehicle. They, they traveled by wagon. And so she kept on until he gave her 35 cents. And she got in touch with a man by the name of Fred Rogers who took her to Tahlequah to Dr. Madeira. And when she got there, she told the doctor what had happened. He said, well, we'll, we'll take an x-ray and we'll see. But I don't want you to get your hopes up. And the story with this. The doctor come back in there shaking his head and he said, Ruby, I don't know what to tell you. The tumor was there and now it's gone. <laughs> Sister Dykes, I thought about it this morning. Bishop Blakely, Bishop Mike Blakely, I was riding around with him and he told me a story about how he went to Pine, Louisiana be a principal at Brother Cox's school. And I hope I'm getting my story straight. And during this time there, they were in a service. There was a young man there by the name of Tim Brady. Am I right? And his leg was in a cast. It was broken. And the Holy Ghost was moving. Faith was in the house. And Elder Jerry Cox, Brother Cox, he called for this boy and he prayed for him and they cut that cast off his leg and he told him, run. This was a boy that had a broken leg, but let me tell you something. When he started running, God miraculously healed it. I said all that to say this. There's so many wonderful stones in Zion. This is a city of miracles. This is a city of truth. This is a city of healing. I wonder if there's anybody today that has some faith to believe God to do something for you. Come on, I want you to lift up your hands right now. I want you to lift up your hands right now. Come on, I want you to just let your, come on, this is all right. 
I want you to just let your mind go back down memory lane. And I want you to think about some stones of memorial things that God has done for you. Come on, whatever you need, it's in this house today. Whatever you need, it's in this house today. Sister Dykes, I want to tell you, don't ever stop telling those stories. Don't ever stop telling those stories. Come on, will somebody just make your way to the front of this building? Come on, there's needs all over this house. Come on, the Bible says in Psalm 48 that Zion is beautiful for situation. Come on, if you've got a situation, the church is a beautiful place to be. Come on, we've got stones of testimony. We've got memorials, things that God has done for us. we got to tell them to the next generation but let me tell you we need to hear those stories brother Dykes because that gives us the faith to believe God for stories of our own sister Rebecca sister Brianna sister Bethany I'm going to tell you when your mama tells those stories and your daddy tells those stories Come on, don't, don't let it just go in one ear and out the other. Uh, but those are stones of memorials. When your pastor gets up and preaches. Hey, listen to me, listen to me. Everywhere I go, people, they know I'm connected with Brother Dice. This man's like a second father to me. People know of my love for him. And everywhere I go, there's I'm, I can't tell you the people I've met that have got the Holy Ghost under his ministry. I can't tell you the miracles I've heard of and the men and the women, uh, come on, that have families and truth today and preachers and all sorts of, uh, come on, blessed people, uh, come on, that are a product uh, of your pastor and his wife's ministry. Uh, let me tell you something, when they open up their mouth uh, and they begin to tell of the stones of memorial, uh, come on, I want you to latch hold to them. Uh, come on, young men. Uh, come on, young ladies. Uh, we got to get a hold of what they got. Uh, I said, we got to get a hold of what they got. Uh, I'm hungry for it. Uh, I want it. I want to see it. Brother Dax, I don't want to just hear the stories. But I want to see some for myself. But I just come to tell you that there's moments in services like this where we got to step out of the walls and we got to walk around Zion and we got to counter towers. And we got to take note of her bulwarks and consider her palaces. Uh, know her strength and power and majesty. So that we may have faith to tell it to the next generation. Come on, young people. I want you to lift up your voice. Come on, lift up your hands. Open up your spirit right now. Come on, open up your spirit right now. Come on, God desires uh, that something be passed down today. Come on, men of 